Hello and welcome to the Practice Drill Podcast, episode 23. This week, we're talking about the T20 World Cup and the first lot of matches. Then we talk about the upcoming November 1st NRL trade season. And we finish off with a review of the NBA Aussie players week one performances. But as always, got to shout out Sencho for providing that killer intro and for announcing and welcoming in Blaze McKee. Blaze, how are you? Big week of uh, cricket so far. Yeah, been loving it. Obviously, you know, it happens in every sport, but that T20 World Cup just gives those games so much more meaning. And I think you can see that, you know, with how the games are, are panning out, how the players are playing, and, and it's been really good to see. It's definitely been uh, the most enjoyable thing of the last week. And obviously, the Aussies getting off to a good start, but we'll review that in just a second. If you want to keep up to date on all things NRL, AFL, Rugby Union, Cricket and NBA Basketball, go and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at T underscore Practice Drill. Now, we understand hasn't been as much content as before, but we're uni students, we're getting through it and uh, there'll be heaps of content coming up and especially a big Ashes summer. I know we're both very keen for that, but let's get straight into this week's podcast. Now, as I said, Australia starting off their T20 World Cup campaign with, I'd love to say, a convincing victory. But it wasn't like that. It was shaping up to be one. But they just defeated South Africa in the final over, uh, chasing down 119 for victory. They were able to do it with two balls to spare. Now, a really dominant bowling performance by the Aussies. Every one of the five bowlers taking at least one wicket, two for Hazelwood, uh, Stark, and... Yeah, um, but although it was a dominant bowling performance, it was the batting side of it that we really struggled in. What's your main worry coming out of that batting performance by the Aussies? Yeah, I think, you know, we spoke about it in our preview last week that our, our bowlers have really done a great job in the T20 side that struggled for the past 18 or so months. And again, it was unfortunately, our, I guess, our batting, you know, it starts at the top. The opening partnership is, is the most important in T20 cricket, and, and if they can get off to a flyer, I think you'll win the game more often than not. But Australia, unfortunately, couldn't get off to the flyer. Aaron Finch, the captain, five-ball duck. You don't often see that in uh, T20 cricket. You know, usually they're gone within the first few or or they're off the mark, but he was out without scoring. And, and then uh, Mitch Marsh also went cheaply, which was disappointing. You know, he's come into the tournament with a lot of hype, They've moved him up to three, and he's in some great form. So it's going to be interesting to see if he has a few more, you know, poor scores. Do they persist with him at three, or do they, you know, move Smith and, and maybe even Maxwell up one to fill those spots? Yeah, it's not it's all, it's all not all doom and gloom for Mitch Marsh, though. 11 is something you can definitely build off of the first game, unlike, you know, Aaron Finch's duck. But what Aaron Finch can do is a lot higher than what Mitchell Marsh can do. But... Um, I think you're 100% right. The The opening partnership for the Aussies has always been a struggle in T20 cricket. There have been times when Finch and Warner who have opened with each other for, what, minimum five years, surely, uh, for international T20s for Australia. They have had times where they, they could win a game by 10 wickets for the Aussies. But when you're getting a partnership that's lasting, you know, under two overs, it's just not good enough. We need these two guys to be dominating from the get-go but one of the best things about the Australian team at the moment especially after the first game well hopefully it can continue is the depths looking good you've got Smith batting at four putting in you know 30s 40s is great 
and you've got one of arguably the top 10 best batsmen in the world when it comes to T20 cricket in Glenn Maxwell batting at five. Not a lot of teams have that luxury. So, I mean, it's a good win for the Aussies, but they definitely could have done better. Now, when it got to the end of the match, needing 18 off the last two overs, it was Marcus Stoinis who stepped up to the plate. We both weren't sure whether he was going to be put in the team, whether Ashton Agar was going to get put in and they might go with an extended bowling lineup. It turned out to be the right decision. Do you think that stabilizes the middle order a little bit more, having Stoinis down there at six? Yeah, it definitely adds an extra extra batsman to the group there. And, and obviously, you know, Glenn Maxwell got through all four overs. He probably won't do that maybe in the rest of the games, but it's perhaps a sign that he will bowl a bit more in this tournament than he has done in the past and, and provide that second spinning option, which we've seen most teams go for the, the two-spin attack. So I think Maxwell's going to be really important on the bowling side, which will then allow, I guess, Stoinis to fit into that middle to lower order. And he was really impressive, you know, 24 off 16 to, to ice the game. Opening game of the World Cup, a lot of pressure. The run rate at that point in the whole game, both South Africa and Australia's innings, was was only about five or six throughout. Not many guys were striking at a, a much above 100 strike rate, and he came in and, and iced the game. And, you know, he spoke pre-tournament. He said he wanted to be the best finisher in the world, and, and that's a great start for him. And, and hopefully he can continue it. I guess, as we move on to to Sri Lanka on Friday. Yeah, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. But what's so amazing about that innings to me is that when you're chasing a total that's not even over 120 and you're batting at six, your feet's up. You're going, all right, my team can get this done. But to come in and have those 16 deliveries and put in 20 plus, that's that's an amazing start um, to the tournament. So... A lot of positives on both sides, but there's still that concern about the top three. Hopefully, they can have a good performance on Friday against Sri Lanka, and we can go from there and start off 2-0. And then I think we have the West Indies after that. I think that's our third game. So, um, great way to start the tournament, for sure, for the Aussies. But in other results, inside our pool, England demolished the West Indies, bowling them out for just 55, the world champs. That's uh, a bit of surprise there. They, both sides could be strong contenders, but it looks like England's looking really good. What do you make of them so far? Yeah, again, we spoke about it. They've put a lot of time and effort into their white ball program. Obviously, they had the home one-day World Cup, and, and that, I guess, pushed them to, to put a lot of focus on the one-day stuff and the white ball stuff so that they could have a good showing. And, and it's probably paying dividends now. The West Indies will be pretty disappointed. You know, we spoke that they're, they're pretty hit and miss but to be bowled out for 55 is uh, pretty shocking and, and you can't really do much with that as a bowling group. But England definitely looking the goods on both, obviously, the batting and bowling side moving through the tournament. In the other games, Sri Lanka beat Bangladesh by five wickets, which is good for them considering they were in that lower, um, the round one stage of the World Cup. Uh, Afghanistan beat Scotland by 130 runs. Scotland just didn't look in it in their batting innings, uh, getting absolutely demolished. Afghanistan looking like a bit of a smoky to make it through to the knockout stages, um, but you wouldn't think any, any further than that. Um, then... One of the bigger upsets of the first lot of games, Pakistan beat India. They chased down 151 without losing a single wicket. So a 10-wicket victory for Pakistan. Blaze, are they a chance in this competition? 
I think, well, first of all, this is one of the, the probably the biggest rivalry in cricket, and, and it's always a great game to see. There's a huge amount of, I guess, passion, but also respect between the two two sides. And, you know, India weren't too bad in their batting innings. Obviously lost KL Rahul early for three and Rohit Sharma for a golden duck. Not not a great start for your prediction for uh, oh, batter of the tournament. But absolutely horrible. You know, absolutely horrible. Virat Kohli, I guess, rescued the ship there with a half century, and they managed to get themselves to 150, which, if you look at the rest of the games in the tournament, looks like a pretty good score. But Pakistan were pretty clinical. You know, Babar Azam at the top of the order, we, we know he's a pretty dominant player. He's kind of probably in that top five batsman in the world, and probably one that goes a bit unnoticed. Obviously, you know, playing for Pakistan, they, they don't often get the, the big uh, games, but he was pretty impressive with 68. And Mohamed Rizwan, who's... I guess an experienced guy for them has been there for a long time was was pretty impressive as well. You know, he was 79 not out and that's a great start for them. Are they a chance to make it all the way? I mean, they've just beaten what I would say is the favourites and done it pretty convincingly. So if they can uh, continue that form, they'll definitely have some sides on notice. I mean, personally, you can't beat uh, a better side in the entire competition. We both had India to win the uh, the T20 tournament and I still think they can and they probably will but what this game emphasises for me is what we just spoke about with Australia the importance of opening batsmen Pakistan didn't lose a single wicket as you said those two batsmen from Pakistan unbelievable 70s and 60s for both of them and then you got Rahul and Sharma combining for a total of three runs Kohli saves them with 57 but literally, Smith had, you know, 30, 40. And then Yadav batted at four for India with 11. Uh, Mitch Marsh had 11. So there's a lot of emphasis, which is, you know, might be a little bit captain obvious stuff. But a lot of emphasis on the top four of each team's batting lineup. Um, so I think it's going to come down to, and it is what, it doesn't matter if it's Rugby Union World Cup, Soccer World Cup, you obviously want to be in form and you want to build nicely throughout the tournament. That's obviously a focus area for every side. You need your top four batting and getting double digits maybe every innings and just build upon that for the rest of the tournament up until the knockout stages. Now, on to our next topic, which is about the NRL NRL trade period. Now, the free agency market opens up on November 1st, which is just next week. uh, And there is a lot to go through now. We're just going to talk about four... Uh, well, we've planned to talk about four. Who knows <laughs> where we go sometimes. But uh, Mitchell Pearce, we'll start off there. Now, there's been a lot of noise about him going over to play in the Super League with the Catalan Dragons. Um, obviously, one of the powerhouses in the Super League. But Pearce has still got one more year left on his Knights contract. But reports are that he will be going. But uh, Adam O'Brien, Newcastle Knights coach, had spoke to the media this morning and said he hasn't heard anything from Mitchell Pearce, full stop. So I guess from that, he hasn't heard anything about an early release. So so what do you make about this Mitchell Pearce situation? If I was in the shoes of Mitchell Pearce, I'd probably be looking to get to the Catalans as well. I think the Knights, you know, they have a decent side, but are they going to win the Premiership next year? Extremely unlikely. And, and I think Mitch Pearce has had a pretty incredible career. He's probably done just about all you can do in the game. You know, he's won Premierships. He's he got that uh, off his back with the state of origin. He managed to get this, a series win there for the Blues eventually. And he's coming to the back end. He's had a few injuries. And, and you know, the Catalans Dragons, I think, 
one, they're a good side. They they just lost the Super League Grand Final, so they're going to be competitive, but also it's a great place to live. And, you know, you never know if he stays an extra year in the NRL and, get, and gets injured or whatever, there might not be an offer to go over there next year or, or the offer might be to go somewhere in the north of Fran- uh, England, sorry, which I, I know for me would not be as appealing as the south of France. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think you're 100% right. Mitchell Pearce has achieved everything, but surely the reason why the Knights got it, uh, got him there is because they want him to help build the culture, build some uh, like a winning record and all that kind of stuff. And both him and Ponga haven't played much footy together. And they're meant to be the two marquee guys of the team. Uh, but you saw once they got together winning games, they weren't meant to win. They made the finals uh, in the seventh spot. I think another year with, you know, Dan Gagai coming over and they've still got a very solid forward pack and and Jaden Braley who came out of nowhere for them uh, in the hooker position. It's, it's a great team. And I think if he stays around another year, I think that's really going to help the foundation of the Knights to get back up to... Uh, you know, possibly top four. I'm not saying that they're going to be top four, but they'll it'll help them, uh, you know, go in the right direction. Um, and then you can go over to the Super League. So it's going to be really up to Mitchell Pierce where what his aims are for this next year. Is it about making money? Is it about changing his location? Or is it about furthering, you know, teams and, and maybe his name? I think it's only going to help his name in NRL history. Is if he can help grow uh, the Newcastle Knights. Now, another halfback that's under uh, trade rumours is Luke Brooks. This is a trade rumour I've been waiting years to, to hear about. Now, he's reportedly linked to the Knights. Now, I'm always really sceptical, and I'm sure you are as well, at the start of trade periods, whether it's just actual actually made up or if it's news or, or what it is, because maybe about 20% of the reports end up being factual um would luke brooks be a good fit in newcastle i think it's an interesting one you know luke brooks is probably the one of the few players in the NRL where you look at him and and you know he has all the talent but you know he's really struggled at the tigers and and struggled to kick on and it's one of those ones where you think is it the player or is it the club and and i think you know will he make the knights a premiership contender probably not but i think for luke brooks's sake and for him to uh, fulfil his potential, I think he's got to leave the Tigers. Maybe getting up to Newcastle is going to be just what he needs. And, and you know, they've, they've got some exciting players around him there with, obviously, Kalen Ponga, Braley, as you said, and, and some really good forwards. Obviously, I think losing Connor Watson will be a, a big loss for them. And, and I think someone like him would, would really suit Luke, Luke Brooks's style of game. But, yeah, I think for his sake, he, he's got to leave the Tigers. And, and if the Knights are going to help him, maybe unlock some of that potential, it could be a great spot. Well, it looks like the hurdle for the Knights in if Pierce makes way and uh, Brooks comes in is that the Knights have to find an extra $250,000 to pay Luke Brooks's $850,000 salary, which is just ridiculous because personally, and it's he looked good for him, try and make as much money as you want, but like not worth the pay packet um but the tigers have said that he's staying so um look it's a to me it seems like a bidding war over nothing um but i guess we'll have to to see what happens and it's all going to be what about uh when pierce triggers his decision um that'll make everything fall into place now one of the bigger 
topics to talk about. Reed Marnie first uh, is reported to be receiving offers with Eels who are under salary cap pressure now. Surely the Eels find a way to keep Reed Marnie. You saw once he went injured with that shoulder, they had Lusick in there. They had Ray Stone at the end who threw some unfortunate forward passes that really uh, arguably you know, lost them the game against Penrith in the finals who went on to win the premiership. If Reed Marnie was there, surely the execution would have been on and, and they would have got uh, the win. Surely they find a way to keep him. Yeah, I think... As you said, the Eels should be doing everything they can to keep him. He's a pretty essential part to their, you know, their premiership hopes. And probably, you know, apart from injury last year, he probably would have played State of Origin at some point in that Queensland setup. And obviously, there's a lot of talk about, you know, guys like Harry Grant for that Queensland side. But Reed Marnie, you know, during that State of Origin period, was was being considered with him. So he's a really important player. But I guess the issue for the Eels is, you know, you've said they're under some uh, salary cap pressure. And, you know, there are a lot of clubs, as we'll get on to, I'm sure, that, that are on the lookout for hookers. And, and I'm sure a lot of them will be looking at Reed Marnie as someone who they could really target and, and could really build a team around. He's a, he's a great player because not only is he really talented in attacking and finding gaps in the opposition's defense, but I think it's more what he brings on the defensive end. You know, he'll get you 50 tackles, zero misses easily. Um, he's one of those you know, new style hookers that are very, very good defensively. Um, they're not a liability at all, and, and that's definitely the case with Marnie. So uh, for Eels fans, hopefully you can keep him, but I think it would be a bonus for any of the other 15, 16. Uh, maybe the Dolphins might be interested. You never know. But there's a hooker that the Dolphins and the rest of the NRL is after, and that is Brandon Smith from the Storm now. He's set to go to market with his manager coming out yesterday and saying uh, and asking for all the other NRL teams to put their best bid forward for Brandon Smith. Now, the Storm chairman came out and admitted that the club is prepared to compete with other clubs for Smith's signature. Um, even the Dolphins are after him for their inaugural season in 2023. Now, Smith still has one more year left on his contract with the Storm. Where do you see this going? I think, you know, this scenario with Brandon Smith has probably been inevitable Inevitable for the last, you know, few years. They've had that backlog of, of hookers there and, and he's always spoken about he does want to be a premier hooker at one of the clubs and he's definitely good enough to, to fill that role. And, you know, it's gonna it's finally come to a head now where the, I guess the storm of all but admitted that he's going to be on the market and, and they're going to have to fight with some other clubs to, to get him. For me... I'd probably see him leaving the leaving the storm. I think maybe they might decide that they want to go with Harry Grant and take that option over Brandon Smith. It's going to be interesting as well to see, you know, he just had some off-field indiscretions probably about a month ago and to see how that might affect maybe some clubs might might not look towards him. I, I think he'll find another club and, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's somewhere up in Queensland, maybe the, the Broncos or, or your team, the Titans. Oh, man, I'd love for them to sign uh, Brandon Smith. I think it would be huge for the Titans. But the Roosters are in the hunt now. Someone who's coming from the Storm system into the Roosters system, not a first. There was obviously Cronk a couple of years ago. They're arguably two of the most professional clubs in the NRL. The standard's very high there. And I guess there is 
allure for him to go there because of the Kiwi present of Joseph Manu and also of uh, Jaruya Hargraves. But my question is at the moment is, if these clubs go out and sign him, that means someone else has to make way. So if the Storm, who offered him midway through this year $2.2 million offer over three years, which is about seven fifty dollars a season, people... The, sorry, the other teams have to bid over that, which will mean another player in that team has to make way. So if the Storm have to up their offer, surely that means Harry Grant or Cameron Munster won't be there the year after, so they make way. Would it make more sense for the Storm to just be like, you know, he won us a premiership, we should have won this year, and they'll have this season to have a crack, and then he just makes way in 2023 and you try your best to keep those other two spine players because the last thing you want is to sign him, not have enough money to sign Munster and you're left with two hookers and no 5'8". Um, and I think it could be similar for the Roosters in if they sign uh, Brandon Smith, what happens with Joseph Marner who's wanting a new contract and all that kind of stuff like... Um, it's going to be really interesting. I think it, this is one of those signings that will trigger an effect through the rest of the league um, and especially through the team that signs him um, and, and what that means for who makes way and then go into another team and who makes way from that team. So uh, a very uh, interesting domino effect about to, um, uh, about to happen. Um, but... What's your prediction? Who, where do you think he's going to end up? For me, I'd actually love to see him at the Titans. I think they play a really interesting, you know, exciting brand of football, and, and I think he would really suit it up there with guys like Dave Fafita and, and Tino Fasu Malawi. You know, they might be able to reconnect and, and have that little Melbourne pairing again. I think they play with, you know, a lot of speed and, and play, you know, with a lot of width in their attack, and I think Brandon Smith will really suit that. You know, he enjoys getting out of dummy half and, and taking on those A and B defenders. So I think that could be a really good fit for him. Yeah, I'm going Titans as well. I need him there. We need a hooker. Now, on to the final topic of the day, the NBA Aussie Week 1 review. Now, we're just focusing on a few uh, of the uh, Aussie NBA players, obviously. Now, Josh Giddy. The sixth overall draft pick to Oklahoma City, averaging 9.5 points per game, 6.5 rebounds, and 4.5 assists. That's a pretty decent start through the first week. What have, what have you made of his performances so far? Yeah, pretty impressive. Obviously, he's on, a, he's on a bit of a weak team there at the Thunder, but you know he's come on with a fair bit of hype and and he's he's performed pretty well early obviously you know in australian media we're a bit biased towards that and any sort of performance from those guys will probably hype up but it's definitely great to see you know a new aussie talent come through because you know some of those other guys patty mills and joe ingles maybe towards the back end of of their careers and it's really exciting to see some aussies come through because you know as an australian fan we we're seeing this game and, and a lot of people over here love basketball and it's just good to have that little extra touch point with the Aussie players. Yeah, well, unfortunately for Giddy, as you said, playing on OKC, uh, which is the team that I support and not off to the best start. 0-3 start to the season. Now, it's been a weird start for him. So the first two games against Utah and Houston were on the road 
couldn't get over 10. He had four points and six points, but he had 10 rebounds on debut. Now, he's a very tall uh, point guard. I believe he is about six seven. I think. He's, he's quite a tall guard, um, similar to Ben Simmons, but not as tall. But this new uh, wave coming through of the point guards being a lot taller and agile. But then he gets his first home game, and he drops 19, 8, and 7. He's clearly very talented. He's shooting about 40% from three uh, over the first three games and just under 50%. So, you know, he's he's not shy to shoot the ball, which is great. Um, and he's definitely got a lot of confidence, as you can tell from his TikTok. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't mind uh, gassing himself up a little bit, which is uh, interesting. But, you know, as long as he keeps putting up good numbers, I think it's great for Australian basketball. And it kind of shows the pathway that you can go through the NBL into um, the uh, NBA. So really exciting for him. But on the flip side, one of the, the elder statesmen of the Aussie team and an absolute legend and will be a legend forever in Australian basketball, Paddy Mills, first season with the Brooklyn Nets. He's four games in. They're 2-2 two and two after their win against Washington today. But his first two games were unbelievable. Went 100% from three, 10 of 10, what do you make of Paddy Mills? He was looking like he was in uh, Boomer's form. Yeah, it's great to see him continue that form for the Olympics. And obviously, again, we love seeing Paddy Mills do well. And and I think he's really going to thrive in that Brooklyn side. They've obviously got a huge amount of talent. And, and he's going to see some more minutes, obviously, with the, all the Kyrie Irving, you know, dramas going on. But he can just play his role and, and you know, shoot his shots. And, and he's doing an amazing job so far. He's hit 11 threes through the first four games from 16 attempts. He's absolutely lethal. This has been the best Paddy Mills I've ever seen in the NBA. Obviously, he's a champion and all that kind of stuff. But I feel like under the new system, and, and it could be what you said, it could be because you know Kyrie's not playing this more minutes at the point guard position for him to play. He just looks comfortable and like he's been given the green light. Shoot. Every time you get the ball, shoot it. In that first opening night game against the Bucs, he was just catching and releasing. Wasn't even thinking about it. Almost kind of Clay Thompson-esque. Um, but it was definitely Patty Mills-esque from the Olympics. So amazing to see now. Uh, ben Simmons, season statistics, zero points here now. Just uh, stitching uh, good old Benny Simmons up again there. Um, hopefully he can return. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. Kicked out of training. What do you? Uh, what did you make of that? Funny or just uh, painful? Oh, it's it's getting a bit painful now. Obviously, with the time differences, we kind of wake up here and, and have a look at the news, and and it's generally the last few weeks. It's been near the top of the kind of news yeah. platform. Some stories about Ben Simmons or the 76ers, and it's getting a bit, you know, a bit crazy now. And obviously, you see the interviews with guys like Joel Embiid and, and Doc Rivers, and even they seem a bit over it. You know, in the off season. They went through different phrases of probably frustration and then maybe hope trying to get him back in and, and get him involved. But they really seemed, you know, to be over the whole situation. And, and he seems to be, you know, not really willing to maybe uh, step down and, and, you know, just get involved. I think yeah. maybe maybe that's a bit on both sides. Obviously, we don't know the whole story, but it is getting a bit crazy. And, and there were some reports that, you know, he might not get traded till maybe mid-December. So... There could be a few more months of, of the roller coaster to come. Oh well, hopefully he can find a 
a spot on some team or even just get back to playing. City with... Kings will always take you, mate. Yeah, oh, he can come back to the NBL. Any team will throw money at him here. I see uh, there's like uh, markets on sports bet, and he is there's like a Chinese league team that's like in there as they're trying to get him, trying to lure him over. Uh, could be an option if he wants some more money, but uh, I think he's got a nice house now in uh, California, so I think he's pretty pretty set uh, on the opposite side of Philadelphia, opposite side from Philadelphia. Um, but that will do us for this week's podcast. As I said at the top, go and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at T underscore practice drill to stay up to date on all things NRL, AFL, rugby union, cricket, and NBA basketball. Blaze, what's the thing you're looking forward to the most this next week? I think, again, it's got to be the cricket. You know, hopefully Australia, as we said, playing Sri Lanka up next and, and hopefully they can continue their run. And it's going to be interesting to see how India bounce back from a first-up loss. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think the Aussies will easily go two from two there. But you never know. Hopefully those openers can uh, uh, fix the mistakes from the first game. But that will do us for this week. Thank you for listening. And until next Monday, enjoy your sport.